If you don't know me, my name is Wayne. Uh, I was pausing there trying to remember my name. Um, I'm one of the team here at B&A. Um, it's wonderful to have you with us. Um, I want to talk to us this morning about um, how, how we can live for and in the kingdom of God in uncertain times. Um, as James said, we're doing a, a series on home. Home is a place of certainty, um, or it's meant to be, and a place of security. And what does it mean for us as Christians in the kind of modern world, in the post-pandemic world, to, to know where our home is? So uncertain times, those times in life when you wonder, um, what is going on? Um, I don't know if you've, if, if you've been following Jesus uh, for any period of time. You'll have those times in your life where you wonder what, if anything, God is up to. Um, I'm fairly sure people will have had those experiences where I don't quite know, Lord, what you're up to. Um, those times in your life where uh, things go wrong, sometimes our fault, uh, sometimes just happen to us. Um, those times in your life when things go wrong for those that we love and care for and pray for. Um, and uh, very much like now, those times in, in our world where the news is filled with uh, things that despair us. I said last week that um, one commentator said that actually we've moved from a, um, a very rare period in history where it seemed everything was fixed and settled to what is normal for human history, where nothing is fixed and settled and everything is uncertain. To the extent that one writer talked about this winter, um, us fearing the winter for the first time in years, but actually that, used, that is normal human being experience for most of our history on the planet, that winter is something to fear. Um, and we've stepped into this world where everything's a little bit like all over the place. What does it look like to live for God in, those, in that kind of world? Last week, and we're coming back to it again, we read a letter uh, that Jeremiah wrote to a community uh, that are in uh, a place, an uncertain world that I think is kind of a factor of about 100 more uncertain uh, than ours. They're a displaced community in a foreign land uh, at the mercy of their captors. So they haven't moved uh, and have found freedom. They've moved and are in captivity. Uh, they are the people of God and who understandably, having seen the city where God dwells sort of flattened and being taken off to the city of another God, can't really see the goodness of God. Uh, they can't see if or even if he was how God could possibly be at work. And as a consequence, if you read the writings, it's the back end of the Old Testament, they are full of doubt and fear and questions. In a sense, like the rugs at the front, the rug of their whole worldview and who they are has been whipped out from under their feet and they don't know what to stand on anymore. And Jeremiah writes them this letter that we're going to read again. And that letter is to, it's to inspire them. The letter is to give them hope. Uh, and he writes to invite them to step back into their vocation. Your vocation is what you're put on the earth to do to make a difference. And he writes to inspire them to step back into their vocation as God's people, to live for God's purposes in God's world. And Jeremiah, because this is scripture, Jeremiah's truth and his letter still reassure, inspire, and challenge us today. Um, so uh, the letter is going to come up on the screen, as if by magic, and I'm going to read it. Um, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
This was after King Jehoiachin and the Queen Mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and all the craftsmen had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisha, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you in me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will you bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I've got three points about um, how uh, we can live um, in uncertain times for and in the kingdom of God. Uh, they're all about remembering it is God who is in charge. This is actually the shock of the letter. So in verses 4, 7, and 14, so it repeats a number of times, which in any form of literature means you should pay attention. Um, Jeremiah says, the Lord through Jeremiah says, I carried you into exile, to the city I carried you in. In the introduction, we're told that Nebuchadnezzar had carried them into back to Babylon. And that's what they thought. In their culture, gods were local. So there would be a god of Bristol, and there would be a god of Bath. And if Bristol and Bath had a bit of a war, the winning city would then presume that their god was more powerful than the other city. Sounds a bit like football rivalries, doesn't it? Um, and so actually, in their culture and in their world, the fact that the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians had been fighting over them all these years, and that Judah and Israel had pretty much been um, wiped off the face of the earth, and everybody had been carried into exile, the, the, the logical implication was that the god, a guy called Marduk, a bit of a nutter, um, but he's for another day, and that their god, the Babylonian god, was more powerful than the god of the Jewish people. That, that was the cultural implication. So therefore, when you discover a more powerful God, you, should, you probably then go, well, actually, we should probably follow this God. And so, so this God of Babylon and, his, and Nebuchadnezzar had carried the Jewish people into exile. No, Jeremiah says, the, through the Jeremiah, the Lord says, I carried you into exile. God is the Lord of all of history, of all events and all cultures. And this is the first thing these people in this kind of shock of having the rug pulled out from under their feet is the Lord says, this was under my rule and my reign and under my watch. I carried you into exile. It's an invitation for them to turn to God and to seek his purposes and to seek him. In the case of the people of Israel, if you read the Old Testament very carefully, it's for them to realize that they had forgotten God and that they had turned from him and that they were facing the consequences of that. They had been warned. God says, you are here and I am in charge. And it's an invitation to seek him. 
A um, couple of things I want to say that it's not. So firstly, it, it, um, it, it's, it's not an invitation to believe the lie that God is weak. Um, so that's kind of what would have been lying around behind them. And quite often when things don't go our way, um, we might believe that God is weak. But also, and this is crucial, I want everybody to hear this, it's not an invitation to hear that this is all my fault, that God is punishing me. You know, God has, Russia hasn't invaded the Ukraine uh, because, the Ukraine, because he's punishing the Ukrainians. He's, Russia has invaded the Ukraine because Putin is a pretty screwed up, potentially evil character. And in this world where things go wrong, and that's our health and, and politics and wars and and as I said, normal human history, and we either have to go with there is no God, and actually it's amazing how everything kind of slightly hangs together, or that in this fallen and broken world there is a God who is good and who is in charge and somehow is working his purposes out. And this is Jeremiah's invitation in this point. is to He's saying, remember, God is in charge. He's bigger than you realize. He's not just the God of Jerusalem, but he's the God in Babylon as well. And this is to be a comfort. Um, think about a small child. Uh, when they fall over, you know, they run to their parents. They don't blame their parents because I was running across the park and I fell over and it's all your fault or you're not that strong. They run to their parents. And quite often when we grow up and in faith, we, we forget to run to God and instead we just stand across the park and some of us have had this with our children and shake our fists. <laughs> I fell over and it's all your fault and you just, know, you just need to come for a cuddle. Um, this truth that God is in charge is to be a comfort. To whom do I run? To whom do you run? Who is the Lord of your history? One of the most powerful images that's emerging in the last week or so in this country is that actually one of the reasons we have a constitutional monarchy is that the monarch is, a, is, a, is number one servant under God. And there's an opportunity in this moment, uh, and there will be uh, tomorrow for us as a nation to remind ourselves that actually we are under God and that the monarch is a servant under God. Do as a nation, do as people, do we run to the Lord of history who wants to embrace us? So Jeremiah's first thing in the letter is, the shock, guys, is actually, it's not that I'm weak, but I am in charge, God says. Will you run to me? So remember, God is in charge. Um, secondly, uh, remember that um, God has a plan. God has a plan. So God has a role and a purpose for these people in exile. They're just trying to work out, do we just throw a lot in with Babylon, you know, give up on the God of, of, of Jerusalem? Or do we, like, just ignore Babylon? And he says, ah, I have a plan for you. And this is the second shock of the letter. If the first shock is that actually God carried them into exile, the second shock is, is that actually God wants them to embrace their enemy, to embrace Babylon. Verse 5, he says, settle down. Um, verse 7, he says, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. This is not what they expected. They expected, you know, stay on the edge of the city and shake your fist at it and see if you can get back to Jerusalem as soon as possible. Um, God reveals through the letter to Jeremiah that he has a plan for Babylon because he loves Babylon and its people. And he reveals to the re people who will read the letter that they have a part to play in his plan for Babylon. Settle, verse 5. It's for them, it's about making their home in Babylon. We talked last week about how Jesus is our home. And because Jesus is our home, we can make a home wherever we are. 
And he says, live a real life. Live a real, faithful, fruitful life in Babylon, the place where I have carried you, your second choice world. Same invitation to us. Where you have been planted, maybe where you have been carried, can you live a a real, faithful, fruitful life there? Seek. Make a difference, verse 7. Um, make a difference. Partner with what God is doing in the city. For us as a church, it's why we run um, little churches. And we partner with God in, in making a difference in the lives of others, in extending his kingdom into the lives of others. It's why we do uh, little churches. But did you notice, if you, verse 7, the key task to making a difference in the city is to pray. Back to the sovereignty of God. God is in charge. Pray. We are called and invited to pray for the places where we are placed and planted, no matter what we think of them. We are called and invited to pray for our bosses, even if we don't like them. We are called and planted to pray for them. Um, they've gone, but you know, um, I've got three kids now in secondary school, and te- they now have a range of teachers who, of course, all have like there's like a scale. This teacher is. They don't get quite how it's often linked to the subject you like, you know. Like, I like the teacher who teaches me the subject I like, and I don't like the teacher who teaches me the subject I don't like. But actually, they're called, how how do I say to my kids, actually, you're called to pray for these guys, all of those teachers, even the ones who put you in detention. Um, Pray, because prayer makes a difference. And out of prayer will come action. Um, The history of the church that makes a difference in the last 2,000 years is the church that listens to God and not listens to culture. So whether it be the plagues that came to Rome and everybody went, get out of Rome, and the church went, no, we're going to stay and we're going to love the people who are dying. Um, Whether it be a culture that says, oh, I think slavery is possibly all right, and people like Wilberforce and the Clapton sect went, no. Um, The people who pray and listen to the Lord are the people who change the world around us. And sometimes it's very, very clear, very clear principles in the Bible, and we apply them to here and now. And then other times it's very situational, that actually as we listen to the Lord, we hear stuff about how he's telling us to be. So I'm a member of um, Beyond the Gate. Thank you. Uh, Which is the little church that works with ex-offenders. And for me, uh, I will tell you I'm a member of Beyond the Gate because one day I was praying through all the little churches. And it was before Beyond the Gate started. And I was just praying for the little churches that we have in our church family. And as I prayed for Beyond the Gate, the Lord just said, I need you to go there. Um, and I was like, it's Thursday night. That's my night off. <laughs> the Lord said, oh, well, I would like you to go to Beyond the Gate. I said, I'm very sorry. I don't think you heard me. Almighty God, ruler, creator of the heavens and earth, sustainer of all things, Thursday is my night off. (laughs) And to which the Lord said, I know. (laughs) I would like you to go to beyond the gate. Um, So I did. Uh, And it's been one of the best things I've done in the last few years in terms of friendships and, and, and seeing and the Lord at work. So sometimes listening to the Lord involves just applying what's in the Bible. And other times it is about listening to the Lord. Do I? Do you? Do we? Do we listen to God? He has a plan, and he wants to share it with us so that we can live under his sovereignty in Babylon or wherever it might be. So remember, God has a plan. Remember, God is in charge. And then thirdly, that's the right one, remember that God has promised that even in Babylon, you can be full of hope. Uh, this season, 
So Jeremiah writes, <laughs> it's brilliant, they're thinking, right, we're in Babylon. There's, it's a bit of a, um, to describe Babylon at the time where they went to the exile, it's a bit like, I'm not making a political point here, but it's a bit like the Conservative Party in the last few years, and that nobody quite knew what was happening. Uh, and, you know, was Nebuchadnezzar going to stay? Was there going to be any? And so they're all sat and they're going, if we just, if this is not going to last very long, because this, you know, Babylon's a bit creaking at the edges, the Assyrians are annoying them, so, like, we'll be back in Jerusalem no time. Um, and Jeremiah writes and goes, uh -uh, 70 years, <laughs> which, in the, which actually now, for us, is a long time, but for them, a little bit longer. It's more than, like for us, we might think a generation. For them, it's about two. Um, but, but having done that, he then says, but actually, I'm promising you a future with me. So all they can see is Babylon and wanting to get out of it. And from verse 10 on, and when the Lord talks about gathering, said, the one who says, I carried you, says, I will bring you back. God says, there is a future for you with me. For them then, that was a promise of a return to Jerusalem. But actually, if you go on and you read the text, you'll discover that the return to Jerusalem, uh, whilst being amazing, involved, was a little bit flat because they kind of went back under the, under the empire. They didn't really get to rebuild the temple as the way they wanted to rebuild the temple. And then they had this amazing service and all the men who could remember what the temple was like before the exile just started crying because this isn't what it was before, you know. It's not, you know. Um, and because actually there's a greater promise to come that those verses where he says, I will bring you back and I will gather you to me, and there's a greater promise and a promise of a hope to come, and that is Jesus. Because in Jesus, we are all brought back from a greater exile, the exile of sin and our captivity to sin. And in Jesus, we are all gathered together now in and by the Holy Spirit. And, and in Jesus, one day, we know that we will all be gathered physically, for eternity, in a new heaven and new earth. With everybody who loves him, who's gone before us, who's with us now, and who's yet to come. And the greater promise that Jeremiah is pointing to is that one day Jesus will come, and he will go to the exile that is yours and mine. He will willingly go to the cross, the place of um, my father, my father, why have you, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He will go to the place where he is cut off from God, to the true exile that all of us are under because of our sin, so that we don't have to stay there, so that we can be gathered to God. Jesus goes to the exile that is yours and mine, so that we can have the relationship with the Father, therefore with him and the Spirit that is his. And what Jeremiah is doing when he writes to them, and then when we see it again, is he's saying, take the long view. Look at the bigger picture. Babylon will not last forever. God will. For us, this fallen world will not last forever. Jesus is coming back. Um, and that changes how we see the here and now and how we order the here and now. Um, Dick and Varner... This is Dick and Varner's zone over here. Um, and they were coming through the door there. And one of the things I loved about Dick and Varner, I'm struggling with this one because I might come across passive, anyway, passive aggressive, but I'm going to do it anyway. For about the first four or five weeks after we moved back up here and, you know, the church didn't look traditional and it was a little bit loud, I, I basically made a habit of apologizing to Dick and Varner in advance <laughs> of the service. And um, now I did it once or twice. Anyway, I just said, so good to see you. I'm so sorry that, you know, 
what we've done to the building or the fact that there's a drum kit, yada, da, da. And, um, and Varna said, they both sort of smiled at me, and Varna said, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's not quite our cup of tea. And, and then Dick said, in fact, I'm not sure I quite like a lot of us. <laughs> and then they both, massive smile, and Varna pointed at all the children running around and the young people, and she said, but look at all of them, and that's why we do this. Um, if I could commend something about Dick and Varna's faith to us all, is, is, um, and this is the story that James and I heard sat, sat with the family this week, is boy, did they play the long game, and boy, did they live for the bigger picture. Um, and, and, you know, I want to be a bit more like them when, I'm, when, I'm, when, when I grow up. But it's that sense that actually Jeremiah invites us all to play the long game, to think of the bigger picture. And when we do that, it changes how we see now. It changes how we see now. Um, this hope, this hope, we want to commend Alpha to you. It's a wonderful opportunity to learn about who he is and the bigger picture of God because because hope transforms us. Paul says, this is going to come, this is too small, but Paul says this when he writes to the Roman church, coming into land, I'm really sorry, everybody. I can't even put it in, I put it, put it in simplified Chinese, but um, I, I have to do, right. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, Jesus has died for us, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've got peace with God. Um, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. All these people, they're queuing for 13, 14, 24 hours and to, to, be with, to, to be with the monarch and to say thank you for the monarch, to the, to the monarch. And they nod and they move on. And they talk about what a powerful experience it is. We have access 24-7 in grace to stand in the presence of the king of eternity. What's happening in Westminster Hall is a picture of the gospel. In Jesus, we don't have to queue for 14 hours. And in Jesus, we don't have to pass and nod and move on. And nor are we nodding at a coffin. In Jesus, we are drawn into the throne room of heaven. And we can be there all the time. And so we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our, this is back to the long game, in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Everybody lives for a bigger picture and a worldview. Everybody. Just most people haven't thought about what theirs is. Jeremiah says, live for God's bigger picture. How can you live for the kingdom of God in uncertain times? By trusting in the God who is in charge, who has a plan, and who has promised you a great future. As we emerge from these last few years, and everybody is trying to make sense of it all and get on with life, um, this is the opportunity for all of us to step into. It's an invitation for us to remember God, remember his promises, remember his plan, Remember his, that he is loving and in charge, and to follow him. That will make a difference in our own lives, but crucially, more than that, it'll make a difference in the city out there. Jesus will be glorified, and more people will come to know him. Amen. Amen. Amen.